Coast to coast, nonstop action. This is the premier source for National Hockey League news. Scores, highlights, and the Anaheim Ducks. It's time to light the lamp with Alexis Downing. Welcome to Light the Lamp here on Duck Stream. I am your host, Alexis Downey. You are listening to episode number 50. I'm so excited to finally get to this milestone episode, and we've got an exciting guest lined up in today's show. It's another week of Anaheim Ducks hockey to look forward to, but the team is still on the road for most of this week before they come back to Honda Center on Saturday. I hope you had a great weekend, whatever you may have done. I got outside and got on my bike for a little bit, biked all around Newport. Great to be out in the sunshine. Something else that I definitely like to do along with going to the beach and going skiing. I think I'm definitely an outdoors person, I would say. Now, going back to some hockey this week, the team, like I mentioned, will come back on Saturday to take on the Arizona Coyotes, but two more road games to close out this six-game road trip against the Arizona Coyotes on Tuesday and then against the Colorado Avalanche on Thursday. The Ducks only played one game over the weekend, and that one was in Buffalo on Saturday morning, an early morning game, 9.30 Pacific time for us here on the West Coast. But normal time for those on the East Coast. So let's take a look now at AD's takeaways from this game. Not the kind of outcome the Ducks wanted on the road. A 6-3 to three loss in Buffalo. It was a slow start for the team, too, going down 2-0 early after the first period. They stayed out of the penalty box, though, for the most part, only taking two penalties throughout the game. But on one of those power play opportunities for the Sabres, they did put a puck in the back of the net. And that came in that first period as a part of those two goals. But Anaheim really did bounce back in the second period and played a solid game. I like the way they came out in this period, controlling the game. 19 of their shots came during this period as well. And they took advantage of it. Trevor Zegras, two goals early in the period, tying the game up at two. Now, Buffalo did take the lead once again, but Simon Benoit also coming back with a goal of his own to keep it at three late in the period. Trevor Zegers leads the team with 17 goals now. It was a three-point game for him on Saturday, and he now has points in his last nine of ten games. Great to see that from him. Another player that has been doing well for the Ducks as of recently, Adam Henrique, a five-game point streak after he assisted on Simon Benoit's goal late in that second period. Now moving on to the third The Ducks just not finding a way to close out this game. Some mistakes that led to goals by the Sabres, and the Sabres were able to put three in the net in the third period to give them that final 6-3 win. And the Ducks do have some time off from their game on Saturday to now next playing on Tuesday this week, so a few days of rest down in Arizona where it's a little bit warmer than it probably was in Buffalo. So let's go coast to coast to hear some of the best goal calls from around the National Hockey League now from over the weekend, beginning with our Ducks and Sabres game on Saturday. Two of the three Ducks goals contributed by Zegris, like I just mentioned. And with the end of this very successful week for Z, he was named the NHL's third star of the week today. Really exciting to see. Eight points in his last four games, four goals, and four assists total. So you can listen to the call of Z's first goal in the game on Saturday by our Steve Carroll. 
Sabres will not win the race to the puck this time. Max Jones is shot along the ice. Little backhand toss off the netting portion of the goaltender there in a net for them. Playing uh, okay, Lukanen. Now a shot the other way, and John Gibson got a piece of that shot close in. Otherwise, Buffalo has a three-goal lead. Ducks toward the Sabre. Net score! Trevor Zegras. Well, we asked for him to get one earlier today. He waited to the second, but all is good. The Ducks are back in the hockey game down by one. Next up, the Florida Panthers and Minnesota Wild faced off also on Saturday, and it was a big 5-3 win for the Panthers. The Panthers staying up the whole game, and Minnesota just couldn't find a way to catch them. Now, Florida goaltender Alex Lyon got his first start of the season and eventually the win, making 29 saves in this one. Sam Reinhart closed out the game with an empty netter on Saturday, and he has been on a hot streak, seven-game point streak with a total of 10 points through those seven games. Doug Plagans has the call from Sunrise. This one wired around near side. It's Boldy here along the wall. Boldy here on the boards. He lost it to Lundell into the neutral zone. Pass out to center ice. A long distance try at the empty net. And they scored at Sam Reinhardt, who seals this one. 5-3 Panthers with 38.8 left. Moving on to Sunday, the Boston Bruins and San Jose Sharks faced off, and the Bruins shut out the Sharks at TD Garden, a 4-0 final Charlie McAvoy opened up the scoring in the second period by working his way through some Sharks defensemen and eventually to the back of the net. Really nice goal by the blue liner in his fourth goal of this season. Listen to the call from Bruins Judd Surratt on 98.5 The Sports Hub. On the line, high slot. Now McAvoy knights his way through. Shoots, he scores! Coast to coast for McAvoy. Bruins Also on Sunday, the Arizona Coyotes found a way to get it done against the Vegas Golden Knights and shut them down. Four to one was the final at Mullet Arena. A big part of that was Clayton Keller, who netted a hat trick for the Coyotes, only his second in the NHL in his career. And Keller will be the one to represent Arizona at the upcoming NHL All-Star Weekend, and this will be his third appearance at All-Star Weekend. Now Vegas has lost four of their last five games, not looking good for the Golden Knights right now. But Bob Heathouse has the call of the goal from Keller. Stevenson with it again. Now behind the net it goes. Archison to the left board. Michael the shot. That's why. Maybe Vimoka got a piece of it. Kept alive by Stevenson to Smith to Stevenson. Blue line. Petrangelo. Wrist shot. Doesn't make it to the net. Here's Keller now. Right side to Schmolte. Head to Keller. He's got the empty net in front of him. He scores! And the hats quickly come over the glass from all parts of Mullet Arena onto the ice as Clayton Keller has perhaps sealed this one with his third goal of the night. A hat-trick goal, his second hat-trick of the season and second of his career. It's 4-1 Coyotes. And lastly, I want to leave you with a piece of NHL news from over the weekend before I close out Coast to Coast. The Vancouver Canucks have a coaching change. They fired head coach Bruce Boudreau on Sunday and have now hired Rick Tockett as their new head coach. 
Now, this was a controversial move. Boudreaux was only in his second season as head coach in Vancouver, having replaced Travis Green previously. Now, Bruce did not hide his emotion on Saturday following the team's loss to Edmonton, and fans were chanting his name at the end of the game as well. And you can't blame them because he's had a very impressive coaching career overall, an impressive winning percentage, particularly the second best in NHL history with coaches who have coached at least 1,000 games. Now, the Canucks are currently sixth in the Pacific Division and have lost their last 10 of 12 games. So, like I said, a bit controversial and unfortunate the way it played out for Boudreaux in Vancouver. I know hockey Twitter and social media was pretty fired up about this all weekend long. Now, next up, I'm very excited to share today's interview in this next segment. Catherine Tappan was a part of the NHL's TV coverage for many years and a voice around the league that I'm sure you're very familiar with as well. Someone that I've looked up to as a part of my career in this sport. KT joined today to share what she's been up to since covering hockey. We did just see her not too long ago on a TNT broadcast. And some of her thoughts, of course, about what's going on in the National Hockey League right now. Listen to the full interview coming up next. Now joining us here on Light the Lamp is someone very familiar to hockey fans, NBC's Catherine Tappan. Catherine, great to have you join us on DuckStream. How are you doing? Thank you, Alexis. It's great to be with you. It's been a while since I've seen you. I think in person, we saw each other in Tampa during the cup final, and um, I'm just super excited to see the success you've had and, and your aspirations continuing to grow and, and move forward. But I'm, I'm excited to be here with you and to have a good conversation. Thank you so much. I know it's crazy to think that that was already a couple years ago now. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's wild. I mean, I just, it, it seems like a lifetime ago. I feel like time goes so fast right now. And when you look back, it seems like it, it, it just goes so quickly. And I just can't believe that that was, you know, coming up on almost two years ago that we were in Tampa and that was the final year we had the NHL on NBC. So it was my kind of my swan song at the moment. Uh, I figured I had a feeling things would bring me back into hockey and, and they have. So I'm super excited about that. Well, let's catch up on a little bit and what you've been up to uh, since then. Obviously, let's go back a little bit to the Tokyo Olympics that you were a part of. Um, how was that experience? Yeah, the 2020 Olympics that happened in 2021, right? Um, <laughs> it, was, it was incredible. I mean, that was my fourth Olympics Games. I've done five now, but because uh, we did Beijing shortly thereafter, it was a quick turnaround. But it was a uh, it was a unique experience. Um, Tokyo and Japan were still shut down, and we went over there. Uh, our normal. I give NBC credit that we kind of did all systems ago. We we had a big strong base in Stamford, Connecticut, where our headquarters are, but. Everyone who was assigned to be on site was, and I was grateful for that because there's nothing like covering the Olympics and especially being there with the athletes. So, but what was different was the first two weeks we were there, we were in quarantine. So mm. I was in my hotel room every single night. I did, I did what on Tokyo time was a day shift. It was prime time back in the United States mm. on the USA network. So my hours were, I'd wake up at four in the morning and I'd get to the set. And then, um, we were in our own little pod, obviously, so I could interact with my colleagues that were also in this studio setting that I was at. But once I went back to the hotel, it was just, I had to go to my room and, and eat. So I'd go back there about three o'clock and get a little workout in, in the room and order room service and, and rinse and repeat for two weeks. But it was just, it was empowering to be there. And I think the storylines were amazing as they always are. I felt mm -hmm. terrible for the athletes that, you know, they were competing 
in this lifetime opportunity and they reached their goal of ma making it to the Olympics and their family and friends couldn't be there to cheer them on. And some of them would test positive when they got there and couldn't compete at all. And it was, those were the stories that were incredibly hard to bring to the American people because, you know, we were living in a different time at that moment. We were sort of on the, on the upswing. We kind of figured out how to handle this, uh, this uh, pandemic. And unfortunately it was just still, you know, they were going through so many other issues in Japan still. So from that perspective, it was difficult. I felt for the athletes, but from a broadcasting perspective, it was a big challenge for us and we did it and it was energizing. I, I loved being in Tokyo. I'd never been to Japan. And mm. after that two week quarantine period ended, we were able to go out and explore. Oh, so okay. I would go after I got off the air at three o'clock each day, I'd get with like <laughs> couple of my colleagues and we'd go into Japan, we'd go into downtown Tokyo and figure out like the best place to eat sushi and, mm. you know, all the neat things to see. You tried to see everything, but you also didn't want to burn the wick at both ends. You know, it's like I had to get back and get to sleep and get my rest. So, you know, I did the best I could, but I would love to go back to Tokyo um, and to Japan. The, the people are incredible. The city is beautiful. It's spotless. Mm. Um, there were so many times throughout the day I'd be walking around being like, why don't we do it like this? You know, they have it figured out over here. So <laughs> I definitely will be making a return trip to Japan, uh, following those Tokyo Olympics. Now, when you cover the Olympics, what kind of preparation goes into that? Cause I can imagine that having to remember things for a lot of different sports can be difficult sometimes. Yeah. It's almost like cram studying, you know, you mm. have to you know, we don't know a lot of the teams until the week before, you know, two weeks before when they qualify with certain right. events. Um, I learned the hard way. My first year was Sochi and I was covering the NHL angle. Liam McHugh and I were both studio hosts for the NHL. And I remember I flew to Sochi with probably a 12 inch thick binder with every single, every single hockey player on every single team in every country. And I was studying their bios. And I remember being on the flight. I was on Team USA's flight heading over. And uh, Pierre Maguire, who used to work with us on NBC, looked at me and he's like, you're not going to need half of that. You know, and it, it goes back to the first time I covered an NFL game and I read the entire stat pack front to, front to back. And it's like useless. It's useless preparation. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to the Olympics, you really have to just sort of prepare for the next day. So I was hosting in Tokyo. I would prepare. OK, the next day we've got a six hour show. We're going to be having you know, Vince Carter's going to come on and break down the basketball tournament. And then we're going to have, you know, four different analysts for different sports. So you kind of just prepare for the next day mm. and you prepare for who you're going to be talking to. And then the sports, I mean, we just, it's, it's reacting, you know, we toss it to, um, a certain program that we were running, whether it was whatever, swimming and diving or something, volleyball, water polo, mm -hmm. you'd sit in that segment for about 25 minutes or 30 minutes and then you'd come out of it and react and then you'd go to another sport. So it's a lot of just kind of paying attention, watching a lot of segments. We have a research team that's outstanding that is sitting right on the set with me. So I can, you know, pronunciation of names, for example, you're seeing names for the first time you've never seen. And you certainly don't want to do them a disservice by mispronouncing it. Um, so that was kind of the hosting role when it comes to preparing for one sport. Like I did beach volleyball in Rio. Uh, that was the week, like three or four days prior to the tournament kicking off, we would just talk to each team at the beach volleyball courts. And you get some interesting little nuggets, um, you know, to bring to the broadcast. And you kind of, I leaned heavily on my analysts in that sport because I had never covered beach volleyball. And then as the tournament goes on, the storylines start to evolve. So you really start to, the preparation becomes less and less because again, you're reacting and you're responding to people on the court at that point. So it's, it's, I'd say each role is different when you're hosting versus being a reporter on the scene for a sport versus, you know, an analytical spot. 
Um, every every preparation is different, but a lot of it's done on site and a lot of it's just reacting to what you see. With you being a former college athlete yourself, now, do you have a favorite Olympic sport that you've gotten to cover then? Well, I haven't gotten to cover downhill skiing, but always growing up, I loved watching the skiing competitions, mm. um, cross country and downhill. I, I cross country skied as a kid and then ultimately went up to downhill skiing when I was in high school. So I've always loved watching the skiing events. Um, you know, obviously as a track and field athlete myself, I love the summer games watching track and field. Um, but I mean, I just think what's so cool is you can turn, tune into the Olympics at any given point on any one of the networks we're broadcasting it on during those two weeks. And you start to get into like something different. I mean, I was never into curling, but when we were in South Korea, the team USA men's team was up for gold. They were in the gold medal match for curling. And I went to it because I had a window of like three hours in between hockey games and myself and Keith Jones, we went and showed up and, and it was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen in person. So now I'm a curling fan. Um, I just think that's what the Olympics are all about. You tune in at different times and you may decide you love table tennis or you love, you know, you get fixated on a certain athlete in water polo and you want to follow their story. So I, I think it's, yeah, I mean, I, I've always, my, my sweet spot was always skiing and, and track and field in the summer events, but I mean, there's so many great things to watch during the Olympics. Do you still ski? Oh yes. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, since because last year was so crazy. We had the super bowl and flew back and went right into the Beijing game. So I really had no time last winter to ski and, uh, but I'm going to be going next month. So I'm super excited. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm also a skier. So I love yeah. that. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There's something of, I always tell my friends and family, my favorite vacation like you could put me on a beach for a week. You could put me in Greece, you name it. My favorite vacations are ski vacations mm. because I'm an early riser. I'm an athlete. I like to be active and doing things. And I feel like you get out there, you're on the slopes. As soon as the ski lift opens, the fresh air, the cool, crisp air, um, you know, you fly down that mountain until about mm. three, four o'clock and you get off and you have an early dinner and you're, you're, you're wiped by like eight o'clock. Right. It's totally <laughs> nice speed. Um, I love, I just love everything about skiing and being out there in the wilderness. Well, also some of the coverage that you've been a part of with NBC over this past year, you've been a part of some football coverage, some golf. Uh, How has that been for you as well? Yeah, it's been great. I mean, I certainly have a lot on my plate with the sports I cover. Mm -hmm. um, And I love that. You know, it's I like that. Everyone always says, what's your favorite sport? I said, well, I like that I get to do a lot of different sports. Um, The role is different with each of them. It's challenging. Uh, I did the golf beat for the first time this past year, and that was a lot of fun. You know, it took me a good couple of weeks to get uh, just to understand how how to cover a golf tournament, number one, who all these athletes are and the team around them. So it's like you have the San Jose Sharks or the Anaheim Ducks in the NHL. You've got PR people, you've got teams and you've got people behind the scenes. Well, a golfer is his own Anaheim Duck or San Jose Sharks. Mm -hmm. You know, they're they're their own team, their own entity. So they have people around them. You have to learn all those people, their swing coach, their, their nutritionist, their uh, agent, you know, and then you've got to know what questions to ask when they wrap up, wrap up around or whatever you're covering that day. So the golf beat was fun. It's a grind. You know, we were on the road for about six weeks. I think I got home only a few times for maybe 24, 48 hours. So it's, it's learning how to run the marathon, not, not sprint uh, after that first week that we did at the Honda classic, but Yeah. And then, I mean, from that, I went into college football and uh, did the Notre Dame beat again. This was my ninth season doing it. So always love to be on campus there and did a handful of NFL games this year also. So, I mean, it's 
again, it's one of these, like, you got to focus on what's ahead in front of you. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as that's over with, you focus on the next thing, but you're kind of preparing all of it in the meantime and, um, keeping up with your research. It's, it's all it is. So, but yeah, sometimes my brain is about to explode when there's a lot of different sports coming my way. (laughs) Now, having gone to Rutgers yourself, a pretty big sports school in general, I mean, does it excite you getting to be a part of college athletics again? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm so excited. Um, You know, there's there's nothing like the pageantry and the traditions in college sports. Um, You know, when you're on those sidelines and it's it's families that are cheering, it's it's kids that want to go to that school and have dreams of going to Notre Dame or going to Purdue or being a Rutgers Scarlet Knight. I mean, those Mm -hmm. are all real things. You know, I just last month took my, uh, my best friend's little son to a Rutgers basketball game. Oh, and he's oh. seven years old. He's really into basketball. And we sat on the court. Thank you, Rutgers athletics for putting me <laughs> in a beautiful position to, you know, raise this kid's eyebrows. Recruiting him a little bit. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, I would love that. But, um, but he was in awe and like, mm-hmm. you kind of forget cause we're around it so much, but seeing that joy and watching sports through the eyes of a child, like there's nothing like it. Mm -hmm. And that's what college sports brings out. You know, it's a lot harder to get courtside seats, uh, baseline seats at a, at an NBA game. But you know, if you can, if you can enjoy college sports for what it's, what it is and in its purest and finest moments, I mean, there's nothing like it. Now you mentioned you've got a little bit of downtime right now and you get, you're going skiing soon, but what are some other things that you've been enjoying too? Oh my gosh. Well, I'm, I, you know, I need to be active all the time. So I've recently gotten really into orange theory. I okay. love the community. First really time I've done organized classes since the pandemic, but I joined, mm-hmm. I signed up for orange theory. I love it. I love the community it brings and, you know, just kind of the, the competition with yourself sometimes watching those splat points add up. Um, <laughs> I love boxing. So I do that. I play golf when the weather gets nicer and I'm currently building a house that I'm almost to the mm-hmm. finish line at. I love home decorating and design. Anybody that knows me, like that's my true passion right there. So it's been a total labor of love over the last, I'd say about two years. And it's um, close to where I grew up. So I'm happy to be back with family and friends. And that's definitely been keeping my spare time filled up, but it's been really fun. Um, and then just catching up with friends and family, you know, when we have these down windows in my career, it's it's really important to sort of reset and visit people I don't usually get to see very often, make the time for them um, and just kind of, you know, get ready for the next thing. Well, I know hockey fans were very excited to see you back (laughs) covering some hockey back in December on TNT. Um, We've missed you a bit. And uh, how have you been, or have you been following the NHL? Like what is, how's it been since the end of the NBC's coverage? Yeah. I mean, I'd say dating (laughs) back to the end when we found out we, you know, we were no longer going to have the NHL. Uh, it was hard. You know, my mm-hmm. friends were leaving my colleagues who became friends and, you know, family to me were no longer going to be there. And and just, you know, I kept thinking to myself, what am I going to do? I've, I've covered hockey for the better part of 15, 16 years at that point between local time in Providence, being on air at Nesson and covering the Bruins, then being at the NHL network for six, uh, better part of five years and mm-hmm. NBC nine. So you, know, you build up this incredible Rolodex of people and you can walk into any arena, you can talk to any GM, coach, player, management, like you name it. Um, and I was kind of like, well, what do I do with all that now that it's gone? I mean, I, I, it was almost like, what a waste. Like I've got all this information and my passion was gone. You know, it was, it was being on the air, talking about hockey and being in the sport of hockey that I loved. Um, but you know, it is what it is. It's a business. And I, you know, reprogrammed, I went into, did a lot of football and did the golf. And then of course had the opportunity this past December on the 28th to, 
cover a hockey game again. And TNT called and to answer your question, yes, I follow the sport very closely um, on a day-to-day basis. I get the NHL media updates, but, but when you're covering other sports, you know, it's very hard to get into the inner workings of each league that when you're not covering them right. on a regular basis. So from a fan perspective, yes, I've stayed very, very close to the game. Um, but, you know, covering the Seattle game against Calgary back in December, I certainly had to do a lot of research getting ready for that. I loved it. Um, I was over, you know, TNT called and said, we have an opportunity we'd like to use you for. I had done the match for them two weeks prior mm-hmm. uh, down in Tampa, the big outdoor golf event with the biggest superstars on the planet under the lights. But they, you know, they liked working with me and they said, we'd have this opportunity for a hockey game. Would you like to do it? I mean, before they could even say, would you like to do it? I was like, yes. And I have to say, I was overwhelmed by the response. I mean, between social media, my Instagram, my Twitter, people in the arena, coaches. I mean, Dave Haxtell came up to me and was like, oh my gosh, where have you been? You know, and it was at the morning skate. And it was just like, I felt so much joy. I felt so much happiness. I felt you know, loved and respected. And that's what the sport is. You know, mm-hmm. it's a niche sport, but everyone is cares about the people that they, you know, that they believe in and that they want to be around or they want to hear from. And so it's funny over the last couple of years, since we lost the package, um, everywhere I go, whether it's a football game or a golf course I'm on, people are like, Oh, when you come back to the NHL, it's never like about the sport I'm covering at that moment. It's always <laughs> first, right? it's like a joke amongst my friends. Like I could be doing anything. Like, yeah, that's great. But when are you coming back to hockey? <laughs> so hopefully that game with TNT leads to a lot more coming down the stretch in the playoffs and, and next year as well. I know the crew too with TNT or some friends that we've had on the show already here, but do you get to stay in touch with all the guys, Liam and Anson and Jonesy yeah. and everyone too? Oh, I hear from all of them. <laughs> I, mean, I think Jonesy and Edzo I'm on like a weekly call with, you oh. know, whether, whether they're flying somewhere or driving and we, we connect. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Anson, I heard from all of them after that game and mm-hmm. even leading up to that game, you know, Rick Tockett, who now is with Vancouver, just how quickly that changes. But right. um, he reached out and was super excited that I was back. I heard from the commissioner. I, it's it's such a, you know, when you're in the sport for so long and, and you do a good job, um, you know, for the fans and you do it the right way, clearly it, it, it worked for all those years I was mm-hmm. doing it. And it's I'm humbled that I missed so dearly when I left or when I obviously couldn't, you know, broadcast it anymore. But um, yeah, I, I stay in touch with all those guys. I mean, Panger is one of my favorite people on the planet. I mean, we just <laughs> laughed and laughed. He's um, so funny. <laughs> he told me to keep the mic open the whole game. I'm like, I don't think you need it like the whole game. I mean, you can bring me in and out, but uh, you know, he's like, no, no, cause there's going to be times I just want to bring you in. And John Forsland is just, you know, again, they all stay in touch with me. And, um, then likewise, I keep tabs on them. So when you're with people for a long time, you know, you, you become a family. We've all been on the road together a lot and, and covered great sporting events, winter classic Stanley cup finals mm. dinner every night together. So yeah, I miss those guys, but, um, but I hear from them all the time. Well, speaking of all of those events, is there a story from one of those events or with any of those guys that, you know, stands out in your mind, maybe one of your favorite memories? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm sure you have many from over the There's years. <laughs> so many favorite memories. I mean, just the one thing that stands out to me is the laughter. I mean, we would get into such laughing fits and commercial breaks and it's because we genuinely just enjoyed being around each other. Or somebody said something funny or I said something like total blonde moment probably. And <laughs> it just, you know, we just laugh. And that's that to me, like pure joy when you're doing your job. I mean, you're not even working at that point, right? It's just 
you are so inspired by the people around you and the joy they bring you and you bring them. And it just becomes this like amazing synergy. Um, you know, some of my best memories are the big events because there's a set, certain level of expectation with those, the mm -hmm. Olympics, the outdoor games, you know, the all-star game and it's big stage at the Stanley cup final, whatever it is. And so, you know, you, you definitely treat it a little different in the sense of enjoy this as a big moment and prepare for it as a big moment. Um, one of my, I, one of the, the hardest things I ever had to do was sit down Eddie Olchek for a big, after he recovered from cancer mm -hmm. and we did a kind of almost like a documentary series on NBC and it was a one hour show, but we filmed it and it was three hours and wow. I don't think I moved in my seat. And you know, Edzo, he's incredibly deliberate with what he says. Mm -hmm. uh, he's heartfelt. I got choked up so many times and I'm looking across at him with, you know, welded up eyes, wondering how I'm going to ask the next question or, and you know, that's a friend first and foremost, right. who's sitting there sharing the story that I just lived through with him as a friend that he just lived through, um, you know, dealing with cancer and getting through it with his family. And so you felt like you were going through it all over again with cameras rolling. And mm -hmm. it was just, you know, one of the hardest, but also one of the best things I ever did. And afterwards, you know, we gave each other a big hug. I felt like I needed to burst out crying because it was like I was holding all this emotion in, mm -hmm. reliving what he went through. Um, and then when it aired, the feedback was just amazing. I mean, the the positive response and the people who just enjoyed hearing his story. And he's an inspiration, you know, the way he fights and he fights for everyone else too. And he's the first phone call. He'll take anybody's phone call when it comes to, you know, dealing with difficult things, like especially what he did with cancer. So that's probably, you know, moments like that stand out in a career. You know, there's a lot of Absolutely. great moments, with a lot of joy and cheers and, you know, championships won and all that's great. But when you have to sit down somebody and really dive into your journalistic integrity and deliver it the right way and do it the right way, um, mm -hmm. that's, that's what some of the moments that stand out to me most. In your time covering hockey, I'm sure you had the opportunity to come out here to Anaheim, to Honda Center. Uh, when you think back on that, what was your experience like coming out here? Oh my gosh. I love going. First of all, I love going to California. I'm an <laughs> East coast girl. So get me on a plane there. I am one happy camper, but, um, you know, one thing about the ducks organization that has always been true, uh, is just the, the kindness of the people within the organization. And that mm -hmm. starts at the top. Um, but then, you know, longtime captain Ryan Getzlaff like really set the tone. He was always, uh, he was always yeah. available. He always gave honest answers. You know, we would do the player media tour. He'd be sitting down and he would just, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd rub you a little bit or he'd like give a little joke and, and always made you feel comfortable. Um, so, you know, he set the tone with the team and it's a great atmosphere. I mean, I, between, you know, the ducks and the camaraderie with the Kings, mm -hmm. and then you got the sharks up North. I just think it's really cool to see how California has really you know, grown in the last mm -hmm. 10 years with hockey. I mean, dating back obviously to years and years ago, but even just recently, it's just been booming. So I like the atmosphere at the Honda Center. I actually covered a Ducks outdoor game. It was not at the Honda mm -hmm. Center, but uh, it was up in San Francisco, and that was fun as well. So, um, yeah, I'd like to get back out there and spend more time with the Ducks. We'll have to uh, get them get them up a little bit in the standings, have me cover a game. That'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, another area that I feel like hockey has really grown is Florida, and that's going to be the site of this year's All-Star Game coming up. I'm curious, have you seen the jerseys and what you think of them? Yeah. I mean, I love them. I have seen the jerseys. I, there's always like controversy when new jerseys come out or throwback jerseys, but I love them. And I think any opportunity to, you know, 
get more creativity in hockey. Like I love the way guys come into the rink and they can wear, you know, their own sense Mm -hmm. of fashion and they, they can really show their personalities because hockey is such like a humbling sport that it's so hard to get these guys to open up and show their personality, especially during interviews. And, you know, no one ever wants to be the center of attention on the team. So yeah, I, I, I love them. I'm all for them. (laughs) And then also, I mean, the game that you got to cover for TNT was up in Seattle, a team that you are pretty much new to. But I mean, it's been really impressive to see how much the Kraken have grown in the last year and then into this season as well, too. But really exciting to see the growth up there as well. Yeah, I just I love it. I mean, I was so excited when they came into the league. I know a lot of the ownership group. I know um, Eddie Olchek's brother, Ricky Olchek, is part of the management team there. And so from the get go, I mean, between the logo and the city of Seattle and like everything that was around it, it just had great spirit. And I know the bar was raised really high with the Vegas Golden Knights coming in and going right to the cup final the first year they were in the league. Uh, That doesn't happen all the time, as we saw with (laughs) Seattle last year, which is okay because get that year under your belt, figure things out. And now look like, it's almost like they needed that year to get to know each other. You're in a new city. It's a new team. There's a lot of pressure. And now you're seeing kind of, okay, like everything has settled. The team is totally gelling. They figured it out. They've got great coaching. Um, but I was, yeah, I was blown away by that stadium. I mean, I don't, have you been there yet? I have not. No, not yet. It's awesome. And the fan base, I mean, from the moment I landed and got in the car to drive to the hotel, the driver was like, so what are you here for? I said, oh, I'm here for the Kraken game tomorrow night. And it was like the next 30 minutes he's talking about the Kraken <laughs> and how excited the team, the city is around it. Um, that's a sports city. So I am very excited they're doing so well because you know there's going to be more teams coming in that area. Mm. I love that the outdoor game is there next year. I think that's just so exciting. Um, the fans are awesome. They really rallied around this mm-hmm. team, this new team. They're super excited about it. Everywhere you go in the hotel, everywhere it was cracking stuff. So, um, I'm glad that that was the, you know, my introduction back to the NHL was a brand new team. And I mean, we went to their morning skate at their practice facility that first morning and it was unbelievable. I think they spent like 85 million on these three sheets of ice and the offices are there and it's, it's great. I mean, who wouldn't want to play there? It's awesome. Now, another team that could be close to home for you, the New Jersey Devils. I mean, have you been surprised at their success this season? Yeah, I think everybody (laughs) would be surprised at their success and, um, you know, certainly excited as well. I think, um, you know, from the coaching, from, from, you know, Lindy Ruff and the coaching staff there. And I know um, Tom Fitzgerald has done a great job assembling that team, but it takes time. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is what you're seeing too, is that the teams that, go out and they have a plan in place and they don't deviate from the plan. It doesn't mean you're going to have success right away, but now look, the pieces are in place in New Jersey. You know, Marty Brodeur comes back and wants to be a part of the organization. Like it all just worked. And then you've got Jack Hughes who had the weight of the world on his shoulders when he was drafted and goes into New Jersey. And I think everyone was expecting him to be, you know, the player he was the year before. It's like the, the table is different now. He's playing in the National Hockey League. Right. These are big, talented professionals who've been playing for a long time. So it took him a little bit to get used to it. But now, I mean, he's unbelievable. He's lighting the lamp. He's playing better than most rookies have in the history of the National Hockey League. And um, not obviously, he's not a rookie now. A young player, I should mm-hmm. say. He's not a rookie. He's a young player. And, you know, his numbers are outstanding. And I think, you know, there's a lot of passion in this area. I live in the New York, New Jersey area, and there's so much competition between the fan bases of the Rangers, the Islanders and the devils. And I think now devils fans are enjoying the fact that they can be like, Oh, we're back. You know? <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I'm excited. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, there's a lot of really good energy around that team. 
Well, here at the Ducks, we're having a very exciting game on Saturday, the inaugural Women in Sports Night. I'm really looking forward to it. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on this week is because you're someone that a lot of females in hockey have looked up to. And I know myself, I have for a long time. Um, but I, I want to go back a little bit because I know you were a part of back in 2020, the first all-female broadcasted and produced broadcast in the United States for the NHL. So to see how much women have grown in this sport, what does that mean to you? It's huge. I mean, I remember when I came in covering hockey in Providence, Rhode Island, and then on Nesson, I mean, there were so few women mm -hmm. in hockey. And, uh, you know, Deb Placey was someone at the time who was at the NHL network, um, you know, a handful of women throughout the league, certainly in Canada, there were more Cassie Campbell Pascal was up there. Um, but not in the United States. And now it's every single network, thankfully, has some kind of a face of a female face that is in front of the camera, that's interviewing the players, that's hosting. Um, and it's just, it's just great to see. It's it's one of these, it's the saying, you know, if you see it, you believe it. And so many younger girls are watching saying, well, I want to do that. So I think it's awesome. Um, what you guys are doing Saturday is tremendous. I'm very excited for you between those benches. Maybe <laughs> I wear like a helmet or something. Yeah. Talk at all times. Um, but you know what, what the way the sport has grown and the opportunities that women have had in it, uh, that's a testament to the women that put their, you know, heart out there and gave a risk and tried to do a sport that, I mean, I remember when I started doing hockey, people were like, what does she know about hockey? Mm -hmm. It's true. I never played the sport. Um, I had never covered it before, but here it has become a major cornerstone of my career. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had to learn the hard way and I was criticized a lot and people wondered what I knew about the sport. And thankfully, every single night I was doing games on Nesson, I sat in that green room with Gord Kluzak, with Barry Peterson, with Mike Milbury, with Rick, Rick Middleton and listened. And we'd go out in the intermissions and I would just keep it real simple, tee them up, ask questions, get in, get out. But during the time we were watching the games together, I was frantically writing down notes and listening to the lingo and listening to their language and mm -hmm the stories they were sharing with each other during the commercial breaks and during the time we were watching the game before we'd get out on set, you know, those are crucial moments to help me understand the game. Mm -hmm. And so it goes to say, like, you don't have to play the sport. You don't have to have, you know, studied it your whole life to know what you're talking about. It's just listening and learning from those around you who did do it. Um, and so that's what I think, you know, I love seeing all these women everywhere because they're all hardworking yourself included. I mean, everybody's a hardworking individual that loves this game. Mm -hmm. So there should be opportunities for those people. Catherine Tappan, so awesome to have you join us on light the lamp. Thank you for your time Thanks. and hope to see you back yeah. in hockey some more coming up. I hope so too. And good <laughs> luck on Saturday. Have fun with it and, um, just keep doing the great work you're doing. Thank you so much. It's time for my final quack for this episode, where I share my last thoughts before the end of the show. The Anaheim Ducks are taking on the Arizona Coyotes on Tuesday night. That is tomorrow night at 6 p.m. Pacific time. This will be the first meeting with the Coyotes this season and the first of two meetings this week. The second being at Honda Center on Saturday for our Women in Sports Night. Now, if you tune into the Bally Sports broadcast tomorrow, you might see me make an appearance with my good friends Kent French and Guy A. Bear. Thank you for listening to Light the Lamp. I am Alexis Downey. Come back again next time for more hockey talk right here on Duckstream. This is an Anaheim Ducks original production on Duckstream.